whether you make decisions from a place of fear or from a place of deep knowing and intuition. So many of us right now are feeling stressed and anxious and making difficult decisions about our own lives and the lives of others from a place of self-protection. But what would it look like to make decisions based on what we really want and need, based on love and wisdom instead? How would we feel if we were living truly in congruence with our deepest values and what makes our hearts sing? This week on the podcast, Henry Stevenson, coach and shapes trainer, joins me to discuss how discovering how to make decisions involving her heart and gut as well as her head has transformed how she feels, lives and works. We discuss why we get so caught up in our own ego and left brain and some simple strategies to get out of this fear-based thinking and into more freedom and love. So listen to this episode if you want to find out how to stop making decisions through fear of complaints or criticism, how to know if it really is your intuition speaking, and why being self-indulgent is anything but. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress, high-stakes jobs. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. I'm Henry Stevenson. I'm a coach, trainer and facilitator. And I work with groups and individuals around confidence, resilience, emotional well-being. And I do lots of my work uh, in nature. And Henry was one of our uh, facilitators for our You Are Not A Frog Off Air Off Grid retreat last year. In fact, we ran it together, didn't we, Henry? And that was just marvellous. Oh, it was amazing. Such a great experience. Yeah. Looking forward to more. Yeah. Great bunch of people. Lovely experience. And I wanted to get Henry on the podcast. Actually, mainly through one of the experiences we had on the retreat, because at some point you said to people, would you like to do a mindset workshop? And we'd all got back from this really long walk where we'd had some really intense conversations with each other. A load of us had run into the sea. We were cold. We'd just been in the hot tub. We'd warmed <laughs> up. It was wonderful. And uh, we thought that people would just want to have some dinner and go to bed. But actually, they were like, yeah. when are we doing this mindset workshop, please, Henry? And, and so we did it. And I just think the the insights that people got and the transformation just from an hour of thinking this stuff through was quite mm. incredible, really. Mm. Yeah, it's funny thinking about it because um, 
one of the things I think I remember I started with this in honesty uh, on the, on the session was that I'd been avoiding doing that session because I was a bit scared. I was in in a bit of fear around it because um, it was a workshop I hadn't delivered before. I knew it was going to be quite off the cuff. I knew I was going to share quite a bit about myself. And I was in fear and I was thinking, ah, people won't be that interested. Uh, but but that's kind of part of the whole story because that's the the pattern of thinking of that I've I've had in my life, or that we often have, is the, is the fear within us. So just to acknowledge that in the in the session, kind of I kind of kicked it off on that. But it was it was uh, I wasn't going to get away with not doing it, and I'm, and I'm so glad I did because um, yeah, I think it, it was just yeah really really powerful, and it was great to be able to share some of some of my experiences with people. I think it was really transformative for for people because Henry, I know you've been on a really well, quite a long, a long journey since I met you. And Henry and I, we met doing the coaching course first. It was in 2016, I think, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Long time ago. You've been on this massive journey. And I've just seen what, what a massive difference it has made to you. And I saw what a massive difference it made to people in just this, this sort of one-hour workshop. In fact, we were sort mm. of talking about it for hours and hours later. What was it that really kicked you off on this sort of journey of thinking, hang on, I need to find a different operating system? Mm. God, how long have you got? About 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, actually, I think the journey started quite a long time ago. Um, I think I've always been fascinated around uh, how our minds work, what makes us tick. Uh, and I, you know, when people always say, you know, what are you passionate about? I've just always been passionate about people and people realizing their potential. But what I recognized within that, I wasn't always realizing my own potential. And for for many years, I have been, have had sort of low confidence in certain situations. I put on a good act and, um, you know, didn't think anyone would really notice. But, um, but underneath, um, yeah, lots of self-doubt and and things that were get, getting in my way. And so the thing that kicked it off mostly, first of all, was a period of a bit of burnout, actually. And that was actually before I met you, Rach, about um, sort of three or four years before that, uh, where I was just taking more and more responsibility for things at work. Um, I'd just say yes to everything. I would look around and think, well, everyone else is coping, so I need to, I need to be doing more. I was struggling with prioritizing because I just felt I needed to do more. And I just reached complete sort of overwhelm. And at that point, I realized I needed to do something different. And I actually ended up having a year of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, the occupational psychologist said to me, you're, you're getting all of your self-worth from work. And that's not healthy. So that started me off. And so that was a year of work. And, um, and I did some other things within that around my personal development. And then after I got married and, and had children, I really wanted to train as a coach. I'd been doing a lot of informal coaching in my work, and but I needed that badge to, share, to say, yes, yeah, so I am good enough at this. Um, so that's when we met. And it was actually after that period where I trained as a coach, I had quite a you know important job, important job, how we want to describe an important job, but... Um, I was working in an organization. I was sort of stepping up into a, a bigger role and I was managing two kids and I was commuting up to London. 
and I recognized some patterns that I was in again of trying to be trying to be the best mom, trying to be the best wife, trying to be the best leader, all these things, um, and actually failing in, in some of those areas. And I knew the thing that holding me back was, again, some of my self-belief. And so that's when I was at a point where I was, oh, my God, now what am I going to do? I've done some therapy. I've done coaching. You know, what next? And actually, I met uh, a new coach, which was Katharina O'Gorman from Think Love, the founder of Think Love Education, and I started that journey with Katharina and that completely transformed my life, essentially, and made me look at things in a completely different way. And what I discovered through that work was the patterns of my thinking, um, how that was informing the beliefs that I had about myself and therefore my uh, behaviours. And, um, and that really at the core of it, it was a need to develop a muscle that I hadn't ever developed which was about kind of properly loving and accepting myself and even as I say that now I can feel the ego in me going oh that's a bit cringe <laughs> but actually I don't mean it in the kind of way of um you know a bit of self-care and a bit of you know doing this and that I mean actually fundamentally backing myself and accepting myself and and really yeah building that from the inside rather than the feeling that I'd be okay once everything else outside was sorted. Henry, I'm just fascinated in what you just said there, you know, when you said I'm backing myself and loving myself. Oh, I can feel my ego going, oh, no, oh, no, because I think this is what we get so wrong about our egos, our own sense of self, that it's not just being big-headed that, that our egos help us with. Our egos often help us the other way and not be but it, our ego say you mustn't think that you're not very good in this sense of self-protection so mm. when we say someone's egotistical we often mean oh you're so big-headed you think the world's of yourself but I I find yeah. so many people that egos are getting away in absolutely opposite way and they're not able to feel confident or love themselves because they're so obsessed with themselves and what people think of them and I mean yeah. I don't mean that they're selfish I just mean that they are so scared of doing anything that is going to make other people see them in any other way. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's a complete sort of protective piece of us. And um, I think for a long time, I kind of saw it as a negative thing for me. Um, whereas actually, as you say, I, uh, and actually using the term ego, I think can be quite confusing sometimes for people. So when I'm talking about ego, it's, it's really when I'm really in my head or with that, that, that internal um, chatter going on or the sort of part of your brain that's analyzing things all the time it's usually when I'm in fear um, when I'm feeling a bit lacking in myself all of all of those things it's the analytical sort of mind piece um, but it it served me very well in many ways um, and you know it's made me so it, it tipped over in terms of trying to prove myself and trying to and working really hard but it also made me do a really good job <laughs> and get recognition for that. Um, so it's not a sort of bad thing, but it's about how you use it in conjunction with our other wisdom within our within ourselves, which is for me around you know your heart space or our, what's in our gut, um, and and using all of our parts to to create more sort of happiness or joy in our lives, love in our lives. I think for me the way I understand it um, sort of neuroscientifically and Jill Balty-Taylor 
talks about this brilliantly, doesn't she? She's TED talking in her book. And I've got another podcast that's coming out very soon with uh, Giles Croft about this, is that when we talk about our egos, we're really talking about our left side of our brain that is conscious of time. Uh, So we know that we're going to die. We know that there's going to be an ending to this life as we know it. We also um, use our left brains to therefore plan and to achieve. And because we have this concept of time, we know that we have to keep ourselves safe. And that's the left Mm -hmm. amygdala that comes in. And the left amygdala is all about protecting you as a separate person from other people. Because the left amygdala wants to keep us safe. And what it's doing is constantly scanning for threats. No group threats, hierarchical threats, physical threats, because it's much more concerned with keeping us safe than keeping us happy. Yeah. That is the problem, isn't it? Because you can keep someone safe, but they're going to be like, you could lock someone in a room and give them food and water. They're not going to be happy, are they? It's going to be awful, but they'll, they'll be safe. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't always know the difference between truth and reality. It reacts in the same way, whether it's, um, you know, maybe an uncomfortable conversation with somebody or a a really threatening situation. I think this is something we get so, so wrong. And actually I was talking to a very senior doctor the other day and they'd been to one of our trainings and they said to me, can you just tell me a little bit more about this? I don't quite understand when you said that our thoughts aren't true or they're not necessarily true. And I thought, oh my goodness, imagine Mm. having got to this point in your career thinking that every thought you had was was true yeah or had its basis in reality because thoughts are just thoughts and the more we can detach ourselves and recognize that some of them are true some of them aren't some of them are semi-true but our thoughts are generated by our egos a lot of the time aren't they and then we can decide what we pay attention to and what we don't so why is it Mm. that we pay more attention to the fear-based thoughts than the sort of loving courageous Mm oneness type thoughts god i wish i had a definite answer for you on that but um i guess it goes back to the kind of keeping ourselves safe it's that sort of automatic reaction it's it's really sort of built within us um and and i think in in the societies that we live in and the way everything is sort of set up we're we're much more geared up towards our left brain um than our right brain that's how the kind of world operates really um and so i think it's it's very easy to to sort of be in that most of of the time and i was thinking the other day about what a contradiction this all is because i've been doing a lot of work around saying no we had a webinar last night with over a thousand people had signed up for it so this is a real you know a real issue if you're doing it all how do you say no and we always get the same comment and the same pushback in the chat is what if I get a complaint? We can't say no for medical legal reasons. We can't say no because of mistakes and, and patient safety. And it's so interesting because if you think about it, if you, if you say no to something that you can't do because either you're not competent to do it or you're worn out or it's not in your contract, which are generally the reasons you have to say no, then Yes, you might get complaints from people. You might get pushback. You might get people being annoyed with you. And mm. yes, you might get referred to the regulator. You know, people mm. get referred to the GMC all the time for like silly tweets or this, that and the other. The GMC doesn't take many of them forward. We're so petrified of that. Yeah. But you're generally going to be okay because if you can show insight and say why you did it, even if you did the wrong thing, you can say, oh, well, next time I've reflected, blah, blah, blah. 
But here's the rub. If you continually say yes, you never say no because your ego is trying to protect you from that uncomfortableness, from people pleasing, and you carry on and you carry on and you end up burning out, you end up stressed, etc. The mistakes that you make are going to be of a completely different nature. They're going to be things like acting outside your competence, just doing something, even though you feel really uncomfortable. You'll probably get some communication issues. You'll probably end up being rude to people. You'll probably, you know, this is where people go into addictions and, Mm -hmm. you know, working way beyond when they should. And then the sorts of mistakes you make then can be much, much worse and can be much harder to come back from. And the regulator will not look at you and go, oh dear, you were really tired. Don't worry about it. I'll go, you were really tired. Why did you not take time off? So we're we're really frightened of the the complaints that we can deal with and go, well, actually there's a reason for that. And here it is. And you may or may not agree with me, but but we do not think about those. Oh my gosh, how bad it's going to be. And we were talking just before we came on. We don't look at the, we don't look at the other side. We don't look at what happens if I don't do that. Exactly. So, you know, with us coaching cards, yeah. What is the cost of not saying no? What is really the cost to you physically, emotionally, your relationships at home, at work, your patients, your clients, your colleagues, you know, in the long, in the long run? We can keep on in the same patterns of behavior. And probably, you know, you're right. But I I, I always think there's a cost at some point. Um, And so it's just having that bit of inquiry, I think, with yourself. And and like you said, you know, what if I get a complaint? As as you talked through, you know, what if you do get a complaint? What then? Like you say, you'll probably be able to learn from it, work it through, explain it, whatever it is. But we are default because it's just practice, just because it's what we've been practiced at doing is to just say yes and to keep on doing that. And it's not just about what's the cost of not saying no. It's also about what's the cost in continuing in your thinking patterns? What's the cost in continuing in how things are? Because, you know, someone said to me the other day, um, I think it was Dyke Drummond actually does a lot of work with with doctors and burnout. in. Yes. You know, just rate, rate. How do you feel about your job right now? Scale of one to 10, rate it. And, you know, I think most of the people that were on the webinar last night probably would rated it two or three. Mm. Um, and it's like, yeah. and then you ask yourself, is, is that okay? Is that yeah. okay to, to feel like that about something that you do for 100 hours a week? You know, yeah. is, is that acceptable? Is that what you really want your life to be like? What is the cost of keeping it like that and keeping mm. it like that. And, and Henry, I know that you decided not to do that and you invested a lot of money in, in you know, and in, in time and resources in doing that. You know, do you regret any of that investment? God, no, not at all. Not at all because I feel um, completely different. And that's not to say I haven't got challenges. I think this is the one of the, one of the traps that I fell into with, um, and I think often we do, it's like, well, if I just do this, then I'll be all right and I'll be fixed and I'll be sorted and it'll all be, you know, come together. Uh, the investment and the commitment, I think the invest, the investment brings commitment, number one, for me personally. Once I've invested in something, I'm committed. Um, so, and the commitment was practicing to retrain some of my thinking and some of my patterns of behavior. And that's not to say I don't slip. I do. Uh, and it, but it means that when I meet challenges, it's um, 
how I approach those really depends on where my mindset is. So uh, let's be honest, in January, we were due to have this podcast. I was having a tricky time in January. I really crashed into the, this uh, beginning of the year. And I just didn't feel in the right headspace to be able to have this conversation. And of course, all the ego came up for me around, I don't want to let Rachel down. I've got to, you know, just, you know, brush yourself down and you'll be all right and be able to talk about this stuff. Um, but actually, no, what I chose to do in that moment was just say to you, I can't do anything. I'm just going to have some time out. And that's what I did. Now, my circumstances since then have changed a little bit, but not dramatically. I'm still dealing with some of the same challenges. But because I allowed myself to uh, recognize where what was happening for me, allow myself to feel those feelings, um, I've let go of some of the stories that I was creating in my mind. So I was really attached to some limiting negative thoughts. And that took me down. And once I'd kind of moved from that and reconnected with myself a bit more, then I'm in a better place to actually manage my business, to think creatively. So, no, the investment, uh, I don't regret any anything. And I, but that, I'm always a work in progress. I'm always learning. I, I love anything around. I think the more you know yourself, the better life is. Um, but it's just about I'm not as dependent on others to make me feel good. Um, and I'm more in control of how I want my life to be. But that has taken some courageous steps and, to, and it has been very fearful at times. What was the mindset shift that you had then? What was the fundamental mindset shift that you needed to go through? So obviously in January, you had a, a low point, but you were able to just go, no, I can't do this. I need to look after myself. And you, you know, you're better. Mm. So what, what enabled you? Because what, and I love what you're saying, because it's not about if I do this, I'm going to be absolutely brilliant for the rest of my life and I'll feel like this all the time. But mm. you were like, oh, I'm having a tough time and I'm going to look after myself. And yeah, the Henry from three or four years ago probably wouldn't have been able to say that, right? No, because I would have been, you know, so not wanting to let you down and so feeling like I've got to, you know, be strong and, and, and show up and all of these things and not be vulnerable. Mm. Um, and so the shift was actually thinking what is what is the thing that i need to do that's the most kind and compassionate thing for myself and that's really challenging because the next thing that comes up well that's a bit selfish that's a bit self-indulgent isn't it mm. so that's that's okay that's the that's the old thinking that's the you know <laughs> that's there and so i can see that and i can say yeah Thank you. Just sit in the back seat, please. Um, while I actually think about what I need right now, what what's what's most loving, and I and I do appreciate that that isn't, you know, sometimes to take a bit of time out or to not do a particular thing is is challenging, um, and it's but even some I do think you can still do small things each day to just focus in on, on what your needs are and, and what's going to support you and get you in touch with your with your heart a bit mm. so that but it so it's really it's really that getting in touch with your heart and your gut 
what you did at that point was go, okay, did my head say, I should, I should get on the podcast with Rachel because I'll let her down, blah, 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 blah. And incidentally, side note, of course you didn't let me down. Like, who doesn't like suddenly an hour in their day to, to get on with stuff? I think yeah. we're so worried about letting people down. Well, Half the time people are like, yay, brilliant. And I kind of knew that too, but it was still, it was still there in my, in my head. Yeah, but this um, all this word, this word self-indulgent, we have really weaponized that word. Now, I had a, a member of my family who shall remain nameless. He doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so we're fine. It's not my other half. He's, he's, he's learning. He's coming around. We're managing to turn him. Um, come on the anyway, journey. Yeah, <laughs> we'll drag him there, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Someone in my family accused me of being self-indulgent because I was trying to thrive in my work. And yes. that is just like, oh, for goodness. Why wouldn't we be self-indulgent? Because the, the bottom line is if I'm not here, if I'm literally not here, I can't serve anybody. Well, that um, is the bottom line, right? bottom line, I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. So I had a moment in um, when I was doing my training with Katharina, we were on a, on the retreat and I basically said that my, so my, my, my dad died when I was young. Um, and so at some level, I've got a fear within me about, you know, my kids maybe losing a parent, you know, that's just something that's there at a very deep level. And um, I was sort of sharing a bit around that. And I said um, something like, you know, I'm absolutely 100% prepared to put the boys and Steve's, my husband's needs ahead of mine. Like for me, that was just like, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until she kind of, Katharina kind of said, really? And, and at, what, at what cost, essentially? And really, and I know this sounds you know, maybe quite dramatic and hopefully it would never have got to this stage. But, um, yeah, I was being a martyr, essentially. And it, and in if I'd carried on, possibly, in time, maybe I would have created the one thing that I really didn't want in and maybe I would have got ill or, you know, I mean, I don't know. But it was a wake-up moment for me to go, okay, that's, yeah, in all the sort of fear of trying to control everything and manage everything and make it all okay for everybody else. I was doing that at the cost of myself and and what impact might that have had long-term? Yeah, and I mean, I know you say, oh, you know, hopefully that would never happen long-term, but we are seeing doctors dying by suicide in increasing numbers at the moment. I heard about someone in another caring profession recently in our in our town who who, died by suicide and you know there are obviously lots of other factors involved but but it happens but it happens if you push too hard and and too long and and interestingly um we went out 
Mother's Day. We went out for Mother's Day the other, the other week for brunch. And um, my other half, bless him, said to the kids, let's say what we like about mum. He's really oh. like, he's really learning. He knows that my well love language. Done. I know, he gets You've been training well. That. I've been training him well. <laughs> Again, he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can, I can, I can compliment him on here. <laughs> he knows that my love language is words of affirmation. So we're sat at brunch and my other half says, what do you like most about mum? What do you appreciate about mum? And my teenage son said, bless him, he said, he said, you've been much less stressed recently. And that was what mm. he appreciated about me. I thought, oh my, oh my goodness. Why have I been much less stressed? Because if I'm honest, Henry, and this is like me opening up just between me and you, <laughs> you know, I've been pretty close to burnout recently because yeah. we've had so yeah. much on. Yeah. And again, thinking I've got mm. to get this out. I've got to serve people. And again, ego telling me it's really important that I work every weekend blah yeah. blah blah and I've had we've had some people they've just come in and gone no you, unless you look after yourself unless you just stop you are no good for anyone else and exactly. so the last you know few months I've been really putting that in you know I have to look after my own needs and 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 it has felt really selfish but my son says what I like about the year is that you're less stressed yeah. what does that tell you about how I am when I'm not being self-indulgent, right? Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. And your presence will be different, mm. you know, with, with the kids. And also, I feel quite passionately about the fact that, you know, if I'm going to be working, supporting other people around resilience, confidence, well-being, burnout, and I'm not practising these things myself, my integrity is off <laughs> so um you know i i do my things on a daily basis i am selfish about stuff and i'm really it's taken a long time to be okay with that but i read somewhere i might even have it on a post-it right somewhere oh yeah keep it as a little Listen, reminder henry is, henry is reaching for the post-it <laughs> <laughs> i can't even remember where this came from but it says it's not it's not selfish to make sure that you're okay before attending to others needs it's simply common sense. So people gain more when we're when we're in we're able to be in service for others, in, in whether that's our kids, our clients, our colleagues, our patients, or, or whatever. Um, if we're all right, and it's common sense. Yeah, yeah we, and who, we who haven't been conditioned in that way. Yeah, and who doesn't want to be operated on by a happy, healthy surgeon, right? As opposed to a bur burnt out, knackered one. And <laughs> side yeah. note. As part of my self-care, I went for a massage the other day because um, I do, you know, I've got a really stiff yeah. neck and I dislocated my shoulder last year. And there's my ankle and I'm physically, I just need to get my stuff together. Anyway, and some really good massage therapist, but she greeted me with, oh, you're my fifth massage in a row. I'm absolutely exhausted. I was like, oh, great. What happened to my massage going to be? I'm going to be sitting lying there going, oh, you poor thing, you're really tired. Do you want to sit down here? Let me massage you instead. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously we expect that from a sort of holistic healer massage, but, you know, we should be expecting that from our coaches, from our doctors, yeah. from our nurses, from everyone as well. And so it's yeah. just, it is so blind when we think that it is okay not to, not to be self-indulgent because everybody else can see it. Everyone yeah. else can see that there's a problem. They really can. Yeah. Uh, apart, apart from you, where the problem 
Nice. Yeah. And actually, I was coaching someone recently who nearly cancelled the session because something had happened um, in their in their work. They'd had a call last minute to say somebody couldn't couldn't come. Could they come in? And so they nearly cancelled. But actually, they made the choice not to cancel and to come for the session. And at the end of the session, they said that the way they were going to be in the afternoon was she said you know it will be completely different i'm gonna have i'm gonna have be able to be a much better uh i get up well she was a doctor so she said oh, i am gonna be a much better doctor this afternoon mm. um as a result of, of actually giving myself a little bit of time to think through some stuff and when she said no did did, it, did the world fall down or collapse or uh no it worked it worked itself out there is a little bit about wanting, I don't know, I wonder how much in our deep ego-based psyche is us wanting to be absolutely needed and there's some sort oh, of co God. codependency on on being indispensable at work. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we wear busyness as a badge of honour. Oh, God, yeah. You know. Mm. And, I, and it, I used to laugh at my old organisation. Like, instead of talking about the weather, we'd just talk about how busy we are. Mm, mm. Um and is that thing of yeah i'm the hero i'm the yeah i'm indispensable i've tried to make a little uh, bit of a mind shift because if someone tells me they're busy now i'm trying to tell myself oh my gosh that person's really inefficient and not managing their time properly and no. then yeah so i go oh what's what's wrong <laughs> yeah i yeah. don't know mm, I don't, it's fine it's just you're so, so important and i must have told you this a couple of years ago i did a tennis course in the summer I yes, I'm just learning to play tennis again, and um, I thought, well, I can go and do some emails and do some work at sort of half past four, and I had quite a lot to do. And we they finished, and the uh, the coach said to me, "Oh, Rachel, are you coming for a drink or whatever?" I said, "Oh no, I've I've got far too many emails I've got to go and do." And he looked at me and said, "Well, congratulations, you must be a very important person." Just walked <laughs> off. And I I felt about this big and honestly talk about just putting me in my place honestly it was brilliant I was oh. really, really pissed well, sometimes off sometimes we need those little reminders don't we yeah. to, uh, bring us, bike, bring us... one day I'll tell this story it'll be yeah. fine <laughs> well I think that that also just uh highlights for me something else that I think that I've learned through my work and that I talk about quite a lot in in work is about choice you know, mm. I think sometimes we think we've got no choice. We're so um, uh, kind of beholden to the to the situations that we're in and the circumstances that we're in that we feel like there's nothing in our control and that there's nothing we can do. Um, and I know you know we know this from the, the shapes toolkit and the work that we do. But um, but I really strongly believe that there is always a choice that we can make. And it's really about bring, making a conscious choice. So even if you choose to go and do that 12-hour day, do it from a place of making a conscious choice that that's what you're going to do and that's, you know, something you're, you're okay with doing. But when we're doing everything in sort of autopilot uh, and from a place of feeling rubbish about it or feeling like I have to do this because if I don't do this, Either they're going to think I'm rubbish or uh, I'm going to let someone down or I'm going to get a complaint or whatever it might be. When we're coming from that energy, then we feel like we've got no 
sort of personal power. And it is so interesting about how that small shift in mindset makes a complete difference. So, you know, when we do the training on how to say no, people are always saying, I have no control over when I leave work. And they go, mm, well, who does have control? And they realise, well, well, I do, but I can't because there's an emergency patient to see. You know? mm-hmm. And we, we get them to say, well, okay, it's your choice and you're choosing to do that so that... And that power language of I am choosing yeah. to say that can make all the difference, even if you still do the same thing, because, mm. you know, it's doctors. It's like, I can't possibly say no, look after myself, not do that, rest, because someone might die. Patient safety mm. all the way. I'm letting my patients down. And I always say to people, well, genuinely, if someone's going to die because you've said no, don't say no. Mm. <laughs> Exactly. You can choose Just to stay to, to keep yeah. that patient safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is totally yeah, yeah. safe, but exactly. that's like a position of power yeah. and control. Yeah. And you'll stay and be quite happy about staying. But yeah. if you're staying going, I've, I've got to stay, I have no choice, then yeah. oh, you feel awful, you feel resentful. Um, exactly. And often you're staying because you don't want to piss that person off or, or the word. Yeah. If I hear the phrase dump on my colleagues one, one more time, because if you're always in a position of dumping on your colleagues, what are you and your colleagues doing about that? It's tricky, but it's a conversation. But exactly, the ah, conversation. it's about this choice. Henry, how do we make that choice though in a position that's not ego, that's not fear, amygdala, trying to keep ourselves safe? Based, mm. what else can we use? So I, I often, I have to um, ask another part of me, which sounds a bit weird. But um, <laughs> so when I'm in my head, I'm always in. I'm often in fear and ego. Um, so I have to take a bit of time and that might, doesn't have to be a long period of time. It might be a minute, it might be two minutes and just breathe a bit and just almost ask myself, like, what other choices are there? And if I was coming at this from a place of, of love for myself or from my intuition or from my heart, or even what's my gut saying about this, you know, what choices do I have here? you know and and being being really honest with yourself and listening so that's kind of listening in a little bit to what that other part of us is saying because otherwise we just get caught in the same cycle and also you know if i make this choice how am i going to feel and then if i make that choice how will that make me feel and just being aware of those things and then choosing choosing from there how do you get over that hump of fear because even if you do go to your intuition and go well actually i know intuitively that it's not right to do that but i telling that person that is so so scary i can't well sometimes sometimes it is about being with a bit of the discomfort of it because change does is it's it's not comfortable all the time but it can be really empowering and when you've done it once or twice or three times and said no or, or whatever it is or had the conversation that you'd much rather not have actually gets easier and it's about again it's that question of you know what's the cost of not doing that mm. um so i think it is about being okay with being uncomfortable not trying to shut that down because too often we're trying to like avoid having the bad feelings you know but that's not what being a human is all about (laughs) we have good feelings we have bad feelings you know 
So sometimes it's just about recognizing that that's there, but still making the choice. The choice that's going to serve you in the longer term. And so how do you have any actual techniques that you use to do that? So you've already mentioned sort of some grounded breaths. I know you do a lot in nature, which is an amazing way of getting some perspective on stuff and just, you know, realizing our, our place in this world, but, you know, that our ego is not the most central, important thing in the world. Mm. So, I mean, nature for me is really helpful because when I'm in nature, I can feel calm and grounded. So um, I guess my first tip is whatever works for you to quieten the mind and get in and try and feel sort of grounded in yourself and, and calm. So whether that's, you know, having a, a moment on your own or uh, being in nature as it is for me. And then when you're in a bit more of a relaxed state, I think it's it's easier to act from there. And from there, you're able to kind of work out a little bit more about what you what you what you know you should you could be doing. Um, I do have some other sort of models and techniques that I use within within my coaching. Um, sometimes I find writing stuff out. So, you know, I might even write down, you know, what what is the fear? Write it all down and just get it out and then kind of look at it and then think about what do I really want? How do I want this to be? And focus there. Because that's the more empowering place. That's the place that's, that's more um, in tune with what, you know, the life that we want to have really. How do you get people to get to that? What do I really want? Because in my experience, and particularly working with doctors, people don't, I think we've been so used to dancing to someone else's tune for so long, mm -hmm. doing what other people say we should do. And, you know, right from you should do these A-levels and don't do art, do chemistry, which is what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. You've almost lost your sense of, hang on, what do I want? You know, actually what I just want to do is go lie in bed and put my head under the pillow and go, oh, make it stop, please. I just need some rest. Mm. But that is, again, that's from a place of fear as well. So yeah. how do you work it out? I, that, I don't think there's one kind of quick fix, sort of do this and that's it. I think it is a little bit about finding what works for you. I mean, sometimes I can get myself caught up in it. Well, I don't know what I want. And then I create even more stress for myself and pressure on myself trying to work out what, what I want. Um, I, I always say, I think it's in the small things, okay? So doing something really small each day that just shifts your mindset a little bit or shifts, it enables you to just quieten or calm a little bit and, and then trusting it, it will come from there. You, you, it, it will emerge. Like, it's when people say things like, um, you know, we have our best ideas in the shower or on all of those kind of things. It's because, or when we're out, yeah, having a walk. It's because we're in a calmer state. And that's when you, you can actually get in, yeah, actually, that's what I want. You sort of get yourself out of the the day-to-day. -day. And that isn't always possible because we're living very busy lives. So it's just doing maybe one tiny thing, like a, a minute a day or five minutes a day of writing something down or being in nature or doing a breathing exercise. I think that question of what do I need right now 
can be quite helpful if you're just completely mm. overwhelmed. What do I need now? Because then once, like you said, getting into that place of relaxation, you can then go, what do I really, what do I really want? But it is really hard to know that when you are what I call backed into the corner, you know, yeah. with the shapes and we're in our adrenaline based zone where we're stuck in people pleasing and perfectionism and shame and guilt and yeah. all that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's the same, you know, with, with kids, you, you've ever had those situations where your child's having a massive emotional outburst or, or whatever. And, and you know that you can't get through to them when they're in that state. You have to wait till things have calmed and then you can have a different kind of conversation. And it's the same when we're in that frenetic busyness. It's very hard to get in touch with actually what in our heart of hearts do we, do we want to do? What would make us feel a little bit better in this situation? And how do we learn to trust that? How do we learn to trust our intuition when we are surrounded by all these different voices that tell us what we should and shouldn't do? And, and I'm talking about some of the internal voices as well. Mm. How do we know that that is coming from our hearts and our intuition? Is there any signs? Mm. I think there's a, there's a sort of a deeper knowing, I think, when, when it's coming from that part of you. I did a I did a practice recently actually, which might be might be a good one to think about um, because it get kind of gets to the heart of things. I was on a webinar and the question was, you know, why are you here? Uh, and so we wrote some stuff down. And then um, the next question was, why are you really here? So I wrote some more stuff down. And the next question was, why are you really really here? And that is when you get to the you get to the sort of heart of things. So you cut through the sort of, you know, the main, the first sort of reasons, which is usually the sort of head ego stuff. And you get a little bit, and I think when you, it's almost like you can feel it in your body a bit more, I, I believe. When you're working from your intuition, it's a feeling in your, that, that it sort of almost has a different energy to it. Um, you know, you can always sort of physically feel it when your shoulders are up and you're operating from here. Actually, when you're operating from your intuition, things feel calmer, your shoulders are down. And, and I think in terms of, you know, how do you learn to trust it? I'm still learning that. I am definitely still learning that, but it's, it's practice. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a day, for me, it's a daily practice. It's interesting. I was just thinking, I think we all know when we're not acting in our own integrity and authenticity because we can feel that in our body. So if, if our intuition's saying one thing, yet we're doing something else out of fear, I think that is when we feel completely stressed and, and, mm. and, and it's very, 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 very difficult, which is a bit different from, oh, I'm stressed because this is uncomfortable. So I think if you're right, if we listen long enough, mm. we hear it, but that requires sitting with it and not, just scrolling through Facebook or putting Netflix on or just grabbing that. I was going to say third gin and tonic or I'll say third bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things either because I, I do, you know, I just, I think, I do feel that we're human beings. We all do different things. It's about knowing yourself and knowing what works for you and what doesn't. But, so it's just knowing having a bit of a conversation with you, knowing what works for you, what doesn't. And even sometimes, again, I, you know, I can't say, sit here and say that every decision I make is from love or from 
my heart and my soul. Sometimes I'm aware that I'm operating from fear. But then it's about forgiving myself for that. Mm. And actually, you know, and, and, and again, not what I would have done in the past was batting myself over the head around that. Mm. You should know better than this. Come on. Mm. You've done all this work and you're still doing that. Yeah. No, it's a learning. It's a choice that I made in that moment. Um, oh. Yeah. I think that's so important because I think... There is that thing, I was listening to some amazing podcasts on shame and this doctor was saying she'd felt so much shame for being forced into the keyhole of what a doctor should look like. And then she felt a lot of shame for allowing that to happen. And we constantly take, this is the second arrow, isn't it, that the Buddhists call, call it, by feeling bad about allowing ourselves to do that. But mm. one thing I've found really helpful is just, again, a bit of self-compassion, hand on the heart and going, of course you did that. That was like a really yeah. normal response. Oh, you poor yeah. thing. Of course you felt like that. Of course you did that. Just yeah. like you wouldn't say to your best mate, well, that was really bad. You know, when your husband yells at you, you yell back at him. And you, oh, of course you did. What a difficult situation, yeah. But, exactly. you know. Exactly. And, I, you know, it, it's that's a, you know, another shift that I've had of, of how I talk to myself. Um. Because we would never talk to, I would never have talked to other people, my friends or my family or my kids in the way that I've talked to myself. Like nobody's going to judge me more than I judge myself. You know, no one's going to, you know, criticise me in the way that I have criticised myself. So that's, you know, and that, that doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes and get things, you know, <laughs> lose, my, lose my rag at times or whatever it might be. But it's how I then deal with it and, and doing that in a way that's compassionate for my, to myself and compassionate to others. Yeah. So, Henry, gosh, we, we talked for, talk for a long time now. Um, I'm going to ask you for your, your three tips about how we can move from, you know, this, this ego-based decision-making out of a place of real fear and worry and anxiety into somewhere where we're listening to our heart we're making decisions through love. We're listening to our own intuition and our feelings in our body. What would your three tips mm. be for busy people who just have got an overwhelming demands on them? So the first tip that I'd give would be about just noticing the thoughts in your head. Noticing whether those are thoughts that are helping you, whether those thoughts that are hindering you and getting in your way. So that, for me, it's always about awareness, first of all. Um, the second one, which links to that, is to just ease the pressure a tiny little bit. If there's one thing you could do to ease the pressure, what would that be? I think the third one would be just to allow yourself some space to check in with yourself about how your life is and whether it's whether it's working in the way that you want it to and if it's not then you know do a bit of exploration about around you know what might what help help wonderful and my my three tips i think it's probably a few questions number one is what's the cost of not changing we always yeah. worry about the cost of making investments or doing things or changing but what's the cost of not what's the cost of carrying on a, a 
a three out of 10 in your job. Second tip, I think, is something about being self-indulgent because it's not until you are in a good, calm, relaxed place that you can actually hear your intuition in the yeah. first place so that you can actually make those decisions from that space. And I think my, my third one is, is, is the self-talk. Watch the self-talk and use the, oh, of course you're feeling like that. Oh, mm. of course mm. you are. Bit of self-compassion, of course you are. What do you need right now? Yeah. What do you need? And often it might be a bath. <laughs> yeah oh my god I'm a big one for bars so Henry those I think all those really really helpful and you know you and I we're running a another retreat in May oh yeah where we'll can't we'll wait be, oh it's wonderful we'll be looking at this we'll be seeing some coaching walks in nature we'll be asking ourselves these questions and really working with people to work out what is it you want because I think it's not until you just get away from your normal everyday life and get some perspective that you can mm. really start to access that intuition. So I think there are yeah. a couple of couple of spots left. So um, yes, please come. They, they're going quick, so you'll need to sign up quickly. And if you're listening to this after the retreat, then d you can sign up for the waiting list yeah. if we run one next year. And uh, we'll put the links in the show notes. Mm. But just encourage people that uh, even just getting away for a couple of hours and going for a walk or having a bath or just sitting so you can just let your physiology come down would be yeah would be really good and Henry I know that you run um retreat days as well to, to look at some yeah I have my uh nourish retreats which is the day to connect in nature and have a bit of breathing space a bit of thinking space where I um share some tools along these lines that we've talked about today and yeah just uh give people that opportunity to drop the shoulders for a day and, and get some kind of quality thinking space with, with others. So those are in the currently in the Cambridge area. Um, next one's in June, actually, 29th of June. So, yeah. Right. So we'll put the links in the show notes. And how can Great. people find you if they want to get in touch with you, Henry? Yeah, so through my website, um, and I'm sure I'm over through LinkedIn, put my contacts or whatever on the, on the show notes. Yeah. Right. So thanks so much for being with us and we'll have to get you back and talk about more of this because there's so much more to explore. But uh, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Oh, Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now. <laughs>